gray shovel. But I want to I point something out. And this is so important to note as we move into the fall and get things moving here um, with, with uh, life groups and adult Bible classes and all the things that you can connect with. The Spirit is moving. And He's moving in such different and unique ways. It's almost overwhelming to try to calculate where and how He's moving. He's moving here in our worship service. He's moving with our prayer ministry and with our deacons and with our elders. There's so much going on, and it's really exciting. I, I, I got to tell you, it, it's my job to tell you about it, and, and I get so excited that sometimes I have struggle with even coming up with the words on how to describe it. But here's the best part. He's moving for a reason. The Spirit is moving not just because we do something called music on a Sunday morning. He's not moving because we all show up on time or, or don't show up on time. That's not why he's moving. He's moving because his gospel is in our hearts and it's flowing out of us. The interesting thing about transformation is that transformation is like this movement word. It's like, it's a trans, it's literally transition. So we're trying to take a snapshot of transition and it's really difficult to do. But we can talk about it. As we go through this series on transformation, this morning we get to talk about worship. And, and, and we call this service a worship service. What we do with singing, we call that worship. But there's many, many ways that we can worship. But the interesting thing about all this stuff that I'm talking about, you're here, you're on, here on a Sunday morning, You've gotten up early, maybe you went to an adult Bible class, or, or maybe you just came to our worship service now. But a question that I have for you is, what would it be like if you had inner peace? Maybe you feel like you do have inner peace, and you're like, oh, good, I, I, can, I can go to sleep now, I take a nap during this service, if it's about inner peace, I'm good, I got it. What if you had more inner peace? Have you ever known anyone to have peace, they radiated peace? What kind of things did they do? What kind of things bother them or didn't bother them? What would it be like? What would your life like be like with peace? I'd tell you what, I'd like peace. After the weekend that I've had, peace would be very nice. Peace and quiet would be nice as well. But here's the reality of the situation. We have been given a gift, a powerful gift, it's so unmeasurable, incomprehensible, so wonderful that our brains tend to short-circuit when we try to quantify it. And we talked about that gift last week. And that gift is the trans transformative gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel, this good news that God gives us, transforms us. And we got to spend some time thinking about that last week. The truth is that God has set us free with the blood of his only son. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. The battle is won. It's already won. Jesus beat death for us. And there's nothing to fear anymore. There's nothing to fear. So the question is, is why don't we have more peace? Why aren't we people that could say, yes, I've got so much peace, I could hand it out. <laughs> why aren't we people of peace? Why am I not a person who has this peace. And if you know about the transformational gospel and you've accepted it and you've accepted Christ, you trust him, you've been released from bondage, you're no longer a slave to sin, 
even though sometimes maybe you act like a caterpillar instead of a butterfly. Where is your peace? This morning we get to focus on worship. And, and here at Grace Chapel, we have five values that support our vision statement. And our vision statement is lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our values, if you have this little card, I had one up here. Yep. This little card, you guys seen these on your seats? Like, why is this on my seat every Sunday? Well, there's a reason why it's on your seat. We want you to take it. We want you to take maybe a couple, hand them out to your friends and coworkers, say, hey, come check this out. We're talking about something called transformation. Isn't that cool? And then you turn it over and you get the series on the back with the dates. So if you want to skip a week that you don't want to pay attention to, no, of course not. Come to all, the, come, come to all of them. This transformation, this is about our vision statement. So for the next couple of weeks, we're talking about who Grace Chapel is. And, and again, our vision statement is that lives transform through the gospel. Our values are right here on the back. Worship, Bible, community, prayer, and mission. Those are the things that help us witness the Holy Spirit transform people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's how it all fits together. Like a typical vision statement, it's this big ethereal phrase, but, but you, how do you get there? How do we actually see these lives transformed? Do we have to do something to let these lives be transformed? Do we not do something? What does it look like? Well, these values help us get there. And so the first one is worship. See, we believe that we will witness here at Grace Chapel the gospel transformation in people's lives when we pay attention to these five values. There's a lot of things that we have to pay attention to, but, but chiefly these five, they're that important. And so this morning, we get to talk about worship, which is one of our values. Now, I'm going to read to you a passage. I'm going to have the words on the screen behind me so you can follow along. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and this is Romans 12, 1 and 2, a very famous passage about worship. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Interesting little phrase that Paul gives us. And this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I, I memorized this early as a child in my life, and it, and it reminds me of some good things. This passage actually reminds me of what pleases God. Paul says it in there. It reminds me of the fact that worship is a lifestyle it's not just what we do here on Sunday morning or, or with music. You don't have to plug in a David Crowder song to worship God, although he helps, right? You don't have to listen to our band play, although that helps. Worship is a lifestyle. And it's something that we can offer. We can worship God with our very bodies. The decisions we make with our mind and our heart, but even the actions that we, that we take with our physical bodies can act as worship. And it's, as a young man, it encouraged me to stay pure. It reminded me of what to do in hard times. And it has reminded me that the world can seduce me away from God's path. And that's a true statement. And it happens so subtly that we need to remind ourselves of that. And it's reminded me that, that 
I, I can't, but God can. And so I'll worship him for it. It's so fun that we get to look at it this morning. As I think about all the th- times I've used this passage in the past as I've grown to know the Lord. If we want to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will see these transformed lives when we are reminded of his gospel in worship. And here's a good sign to know what you're worshiping. Is it the gospel or not? Are, are, you, are you thinking, are you worshiping God for what he's done for you, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you, or not? And we believe here at Grace Chapel that when we lean into gospel-centered worship, that we will witness lives being transformed. And that's the way that God works. One of the things that this passage does is it reminds us of God's mercy. That's what Paul says, in view of God's mercy. You see, Christ died for us so that we may receive this mercy. And here's the way the world works. It twists it, it changes, changes it just a little bit, and it makes you think church or Christianity or, or the way that we're supposed to live is about something a little different. But here's an insider scoop. Christianity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came, he walked among us, he died for us because he loves us, and he was raised again. That's it. The fact that he did that for us is what this whole thing is wrapped around. So to start us off, I need to worship because it reminds me. And maybe you've thought about worship this way, maybe you haven't thought about worship this way, but it's a constant reminder when you're worshiping God because of the gospel, it's going to set you straight. It's a reminder. And and it Whether you know this or not, we live in a very distracting world. If I sat down and just told you the last four days of my life, I'm not sure I would even remember. It could be very distracting with all the things that life throws at us. So don't forget that life worship is a reminder. It's a reminder. So when we worship him, we're reminded of some important things. We can worship when we're driving in our car. We can worship when we're mowing the lawn, when we're preparing for a meeting at work. We can worship anywhere. It's much, much bigger than just music. I think we know this, but it's just a reminder. The interesting thing, though, about music is it is a unique expression. So we need to embrace it. We embrace the music. Anytime you can remind yourself of his great and glorious gospel, it will benefit you, okay? So when we worship, it reminds us, but it reminds us of something. It reminds us of who God is. If you're worshiping God because he died for you, or you're worshiping God because you know he's good, or you're worshiping God because you know he's all-powerful, it reminds us God is worthy of my wonder and gratitude. So when you go down this path of worship and you're worshiping him and you're really thinking about what God wants you to be thinking about, which is his gospel, you can't help but stand back and wonder. 
When you think of not only the fact that he died for you because he loves you, because he made you to be loved, that's why you were created, that's why you were here. If you just take a minute and think about that, I don't care what your life's been like, I don't care what your life's going to be like, the fact that an almighty God would do that for you has to leave you going, whoa. In fact, most people hear that and they just go, no, I can't believe that. It's too big. It's too special. It makes me too valuable, and I know I'm not that valuable. That's what their assumption is. But the reality is, is they are that valuable because God made them that way. God is worthy of my wonder and gratitude. When we zoom out and we see all that he's done, sometimes I sit alone. It's usually on my tractor in my barn. It's a special place for me. I sit and I, I pray to God on this old rusty tractor. And I can, I, I, sometimes I sit there and I try to count all the things that, I'm, I know it sounds silly, I try to count all the things that he's done for me. My wife thinks I'm crazy because I'm talking to myself in the barn. And she doesn't think that's crazy. She knows me. And I lose track. I lose track at like 200 things. It's all my brain can handle. But the list goes on and on and on. All the things that God has done for me. And you might say, well, hang on a second, Josh. Now, I'm a, I'm a self-made man here. You can't give God credit for everything. What about my work ethic? What about my diligence? What about my, my business mind? All the decisions that I've made. You can't give God credit for that stuff. And I say, yes, I can. Because God made you that way. He put you together before you were even in your mother's womb. And he, he knit your personality together and your skill set and all the things that you're going to do. God is worthy of my wonder. And when I get to that place sitting there on my rusty tractor, so weird, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm overwhelmed for thankfulness. In fact, I'm tempted to say it can't be this good. But it is that good. And sometimes I cry and I just say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. I don't deserve it. I'll never deserve it. But that's what you've done for me. God is worthy of my wonder and gratitude. Let me draw your attention to that word, do not conform, or that phrase, do not conform in the passage. What is, so, what is the big deal about conforming? The Bible always talks about don't conform, don't conform, don't conform. Sometimes I feel like conforming isn't such a big deal, Right? Where is the sin with keeping up with the Joneses? Sometimes I just want to fit in, and I want to be a part of something bigger. Why is that such a big deal? Why is conforming something Paul tells us not to do? I think the reason is because conforming is actually something much, much bigger. It means that I don't need anything from anyone. You see, the world says you're self-sufficient. You have what it takes. You don't need anything from anybody. And even when I say it that way, it's like, well, it doesn't seem so bad to be self, self-reliant, self-made man, right? But this is what happened in the very, very beginning. Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. Okay, can you imagine that? And God says, I give you everything you need. You're hungry, eat. You're tired, sleep. You need comfort, come to me. Don't eat of that fruit, of that tree, because that will make you understand good and evil. That's why it was called the tree of good and evil. 
And Satan shows up and says, hey, Eve, hey, Adam, is it really such a big deal if you could figure out for yourself what's right and wrong? That seems like kind of a good thing, right? You've got to figure it out for what's right and wrong. You don't need God always telling you what to do and how to do it. You can rely on yourself. And Adam and Eve went, that does sound pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Why do I need to rely on this guy when I could do it myself? So they ate the fruit. And that started a journey that mankind has been on ever since. Which is, I don't need God. I've got everything I need right here. Why do I need him? That's what conforming means. So when I worship, it reminds me to rely on God and not my self-sufficiency. Not my education, not my wealth, not my strength, not my diligence, not my work ethic. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is for you. Worshiping God reminds us to rely on God. Whether you do that here Sunday morning or you do that on your, in your car on your way to work. It doesn't matter. But that's what it does. Is it, it reminds you, I cannot do this on my own. I need God. I rely on him. And everything I have is because he made me the way that I am. My life is better when I rely on God. And maybe not better in the way I want to define better, because my house needs to be bigger if I'm going to have a better life, and my job needs to pay me more. Oh, no, you guys know what I do for a living. I need a better car. I need a better everything. That's, what my, that's the way the world is telling me. But my life is better when I rely on God because he now defines what I need. And Paul says, I have learned the secret of living with little and with living with a lot. Because he's following God. Life is better when you rely on him. The only thing I'm able to produce outside of God is pride. I can produce pride. Proud, proud of myself. Okay, moving on. Mind-renewing transformation. Paul says to renew our mind. How do we renew our mind? Is that like a, uh, uh, like a, like a certain prayer that I'm supposed to pray every day? Or is that like a, like a renew button or an easy button maybe that, that we have hidden somewhere that we're supposed to use? Re- renewing your mind means a refocus on important things. Find the most important thing in your life and focus on that. I'll give you the answer. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It means declutter your brain. It means you need to give your head and your heart a good spring cleaning and refocus on the big de- on the big things. I need time by myself to renew my mind. I need I need Time to focus. And listen to what David says about his desire to be with God in Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's David expressing his desire to be with God. He's renewing his mind by thinking about that. By saying, that's what I want. 
to renew your mind. Think about who he is. Who is God to you? Who is he? What has he done for you? And maybe up until this morning, that list is nothing. You can't think of one thing God has done for you. But I will tell you one thing that he's done for you. He's died for you. And that is powerful. So think about who he is. Think about what he's done. And now think about who you are because of that. See, the reality is, is you're a new creature. If you've trusted him, if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you become a new creature. And that's the, the butterfly representation on the series image that Matt drew. Because we're going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. A totally different species. And we talked last week that you can't go backwards. No matter if you want to or not, you can't go back and be a, cat, a, a, a caterpillar. So I need to worship because it reminds me of my true identity. That's who I am. And it reminds me to reflect his love. And you might go, well, I'm not really sure how to reflect his love. That sounds like a lot of work. I haven't been to school to, to know how to do that. I don't, I don't have any idea. It's actually really easy. It's really easy to reflect God's love. All you have to do is know who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are because of it. And when you realize those things, it's like the wonder thing. You can't help but being filled with wonder. You can't help but being filled with love when you realize on your worst day, in the worst moment, you making the worst decision of your life, whether that's happened in the past or whether that's yet to come. In that moment, Jesus loves you and died for you. When you focus and meditate on that, love is just going to come out of you. It's going to come out of you. People are going to know. You're going to be so excited about what God has done for you and how much he loves you. That love transfer, transfers right out of you into the people around you. Then you can be who you were meant to be. Then you can be the thing that God created you to be, someone who reflects his love to the world. Let's take a look at this last thing, testing and approving God's will. And you might be thinking in your mind, you know, the Bible says I shouldn't test God. So why is Paul asking me to test his will? That seems like the same thing. But there's a, difference, there's a different kind of testing that Paul is referring to. This is a testing and approving kind of thing, a thing that you know what it is. It's like testing and, and proving a metal to prove what that metal is. It's the idea of being able to look at God's will and say, from everything that I know of God, the fact that he loves me, the fact that he died for me, the fact that he loves the world and died for them and wants them to know that, everything I know, and then I look at this thing that could be what God is doing. Does it affirm that message or does it not? You can test and approve that, what is God's will. So when we focus our attention on his transformative gospel and we worship him because of who he is and what he's done for us, we will be able to recognize his handiwork. We'll be able to recognize his thumbprint. You can take a look at something, you know, I don't think that actually represents Jesus. That represents self-reliance. Nope, not God's work. You'll be able to know God's work. So I need worship because it reminds me I have an almighty God 
So I shouldn't fear because I can know, I can know what he's doing. When I can recognize God's will, I can see the end. And by the way, guys, I know how this plays out. (laughs) I know how this world, this life plays out. It plays out with God being honored. Jesus coming back, collecting the people that know him and that he knows. That's the way it ends. We don't have to face death. We don't have to face the sin that we have committed in our life because Jesus paid that price for us. That's how it ends. It ends with us at the pearly gates and Jesus saying, I know you. I know you. You trusted me. Come on in. You're part of the family. The party's just getting started. (laughs) Worship reminds me I have an almighty God beside me. He's with us. And he cares for us. So I should not fear. I should not fear. So when I can recognize his will, and he's all-powerful, and I know his gospel, and I know what he thinks of me, my fear melts away. It just melts away. So this is what we've learned this morning. Worship casts out fear and brings me back to the wonder of who God is. Worship rebukes self-reliance and makes me focus on his power. Worship takes off the blinders and helps me see who I really am. I'm a caterpillar. I'm a butterfly acting like a caterpillar most of the time. Worship reminds me that I can't do it on my own, but he can, so I don't have to be afraid. Listen to what Paul, listen to how Paul says this in Philippians. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, he says to another church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. These people are dying for their faith. They're being persecuted for what they believe. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace, that's what we're after, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I used to read that passage, and and the whole point where it says the Lord is near, I thought Paul was saying God's coming back soon, so act like you've been busy, right? Get it together because he's coming home. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying God is near you right now because he loves you. So take comfort in that. Take comfort that on your way to work, God is sitting with you going, hey, I get it. The boss is crazy. We're going to get through this. When you're struggling with your marriage, he's sitting with you going, we're going to get through this. If you trust me, we'll get through it one way or another. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your heart. This is what we've learned this morning. Transformational worship produces peace. All your fears, all your anxiety, all your unrest, the more we worship him, the more those things melt away. Because it reminds us of who he is. 
The more we enter into his throne room with awe and reverence, we will be reminded of his gospel, what he did for us, and we will worship him. This is transformational worship. And this is why Grace Chapel holds it as a value, because it does this for us. Transformational worship produces freedom because it reminds us of who he is. And if you don't know, if you haven't listened this morning, if you had your fingers in your ears, we are his children adopted into his family because he, is, he has a jealous love for us. So we have a choice this morning. Grace Chapel, we have a choice. We can worship him, which produces peace in our life, or we can take the gift and we can go about our business and forget what it does for us. You see, if you don't know this, if you don't know that worship produces peace, transformative worship produces peace, you'll continue being troubled. You'll continue being frustrated. If you don't know this, you'll be wondering where his power is. Have you ever thought about that? I've sat and wondered, you know, I read the stories from the Bible and, and, and there's this amazing power and these huge miracles. Where is that now? Where is that now? If you don't know that worship produces peace, you're going to keep wondering. If you don't know it produces peace, you won't understand and you won't have peace. You won't be able to participate in that. But if we do know this, if you're, if you're willing to learn this with me, if we let this sink deep into our hearts, if we absorb it as truth, we can go to him when we are troubled and we can worship him. We can go to him when we're afraid and we can worship him. We can go to him when we are confused and we can worship him. And we know that the peace that passes understanding, despite the chaos all around us, we'll know what that feels like. So as we get ready to wrap up this morning, this is what I want us to do. Please remind yourself of what the transformative gospel of Jesus Christ is about. And if you really think about what that is, you're going to know who you are. You're going to know your value. You're going to know what you're worth. Such good things. And the next thing is the next natural thing. We're going to worship God for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for worship. Lord, thank you that worship is bigger than singing. It's bigger than, than music. Lord, it's a lifestyle that we can choose to live. And God, when we worship you, thank you that it reminds us. It reminds us of you and it produces peace. Lord, we long for peace. We long for the peace that passes understanding. God, I ask as a church that we could lean into you and we could worship you for what you've done for us and who you are. Move among us, Lord. We love you, and in your name, amen.